Welcome back, everybody, to the Books by Adrian author platform. This is the Books by Adrian podcast. I am your host, Adrian Santiago. Leave a like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. With me today is Kent Sean, my guest from this week's live stream Sunday episode, the finale of season three. We're going to continue the discussion here today. Uh, Kent, how did it go today in live stream Sunday, man? Any thoughts? Oh, I had a blast, and it, it, it was really fun not doing another kind of how do you write your books. I mean, we did talk about that. You, you'd never get away bit. from that yeah, when you're, you're a writer. Author. Yeah, you're going to um, But we actually talked about kind of designing an independent author's life, like what, what that life would be like. That is really fun to talk about. Yeah, man, it was a good topic, and 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 we le- we left a little bit on the cutting room floor too, because you know we're, we're short on time. But it was good having the chat in there and throwing in their their two cents, especially once Bethany showed up, and you know she's been putting out uh, you know tracker and scribbles before that, um, very similar to yourself as well with Evil Girls in the Dark and then Blind Spot, a nice little short story collection followed by a debut novel. Did did you? Did you like doing it that way? Are you happy that you did it that way? Are you going to do more short story collections or is it straight novels from here on? Um, I have a, a fairly infinite supply of short stories. So I, it would be hard for me not to do another short story collection. Um, I think I'll do it the same way I did that one, edited by friends, make the cover myself and just have fun. Um, yeah. That was just an experiment to like put something up on Amazon. And I also wanted to kind of see what people thought of some of the grittier short stories that I've written, see what kind of response I would get from that. I remember there was one in there that you didn't even want uh, to, to Bethany to put her name on it. You didn't have her edit that one because you were, you were worried about backlash and, and whatnot. <laughs> how, did, well, it's how, did, just cause, how did that turn out in the end? <laughs> um, it was one of the best received stories in the book. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, you know, whenever there's moments in time, certain events can become a little bit taboo because of something that's sure. happening in culture. And I wrote that story a long time ago, and it, it resembled a little bit of kind of the, the mass shooting phenomenon. It, it isn't what it is, but it resembled it enough that I'm like, I don't want people to get upset. Yeah, you were concerned. Um, I actually asked. Uh, other members of our little writing community hey should put it out and overwhelming response was yeah definitely yeah so um i did want to be careful with a friend's name though i don't want to put anybody in any bad position sure sure you know last um it it may not have been last week it may have been the week before but uh on live stream sunday and in one of the last two episodes um i forget who it was but somebody wrote in the chat that they uh, you know, they'll never kill children or animals in their stories because people don't like that. And I hear where they're coming from. I, I totally get, you know, PC culture and not wanting to ruffle feathers and stuff like that. But I, I specifically like put that that comment up on the screen and, and took a moment to to tell everybody I don't make rules like that for myself. If if the the thing that is going to happen in the story is the best thing for the story that's what i'm gonna write if if killing the kid is gonna be the best thing for the story if it's the lowest moment in the hero's life if it's the thing that's going to transform him to the next plateau or whatever it is i'm gonna kill that kid you know what I mean? <laughs> you know the story needs to be what it needs to be as far as i'm concerned as long as the, the story is well written as as long as it all makes sense and it and, and it and it drives the plot and the characters forward and 
all of that, then I, I see no reason why to censor yourself in, in, in your example for something that, that resembled a mass shooting, you know, and, and in one of my books, if, if having such a scene was right for the story and, and was the thing that should happen next, then that's what's going to happen next. I'm not going to, I'm always going to try not to put rules like that on myself. You know what I mean? It's important to give so, the people what they want, but it, also don't censor yourself from, from telling a great story, right? Yeah. It's tough when my mom reads yeah. stuff. <laughs> um, as she was I, reading uh, Evil Grows in the Dark, I was thinking, gosh, no. every taboo that you can think of is in that. Because that was the theme. That's how I picked the stories. Where it's like about dragging the gross, the bad, the evil, the mean, sure. the violent out into the light. Mm -hmm. Because if it's left in the dark, it festers and grows. Evil grows in the dark. That's why yeah, yeah, I picked those stories Beautiful. Yeah, to fit that theme. Um, and it was hard to pick. I had a lot of stories to choose from. But I actually picked the stories that I picked for it. I picked all the ones that made me a little uncomfortable mm. writing them. Smart. Smart. Yeah, absolutely. Because that those are the ones that are going to get the most visceral emotional reaction out of your readers because it was getting such a, a reaction out of you as the writer that's you know well you know when when i write a short story man i do something completely different than i do with a book a book i plan very carefully nowadays um to make sure that it, that, that its structure is sound so that i can give a predictably good reading experience to the reader but with a short story i usually look for like the hardest thing to try to do possible um, and that's actually how Blind Spot was born because I was trying to write a mistaken identity, kind of bushwhack the reader kind of thing from the start, and it turned into a novel, which which I had to kind of clarify some of the things that happened in it, you know, through the editing process to make it mm. more clear. But again, I, for short stories, I really like trying things that are hard. For, so for the first short story in Evil Grows in the Dark, Lydia, I did, you know, they say never write a white room. I'm sure. like, I'm going to write a white room. It's going to be a plain white room and two guys in there talking and that's it. And the whole thing takes place in the room. And um, that is by far uh, my most read piece of writing in my entire career. Um, I had it up on the website after I did the working with an editor series with Bethany Botoff. She edited it and yeah. we showed our whole back and forth editing process and videos. And then I put it up on my website and it got a lot of views. And then it, it's in Evil Rose in the Dark too. So it's a beautiful thought, any... man, to, to write what challenges you, write what makes you uncomfortable, write what makes you, you know, like really the, the thing that, that pushes you, you know, the thing that's going to be a challenge for sure. So I still do those challenging things in books, but I kind of compartmentalize it within the structure. So like in, okay, you're reading uh, Forbidden right now. I don't know how far you are in it. But there's wow. a scene for my my heroine. Um, she something very bad happens to her right in the first third of the book, and the scene made me pretty uncomfortable to write. But I'm like, okay, I'm gonna give myself that scene, and it's gonna be tough. Um, but I'm gonna give it everything I got. I'm not gonna pull any punches, and I'm gonna try to imagine how it feels to be in that situation. So, but it has to fit in the structure. And then it, it has to it has to move on. So I take those things that I learned from writing short stories, of, of challenging myself, putting myself in some really uncomfortable positions, the characters in uncomfortable positions, and then I put, I give myself a scene to do that in in a book, rather than to have the whole book be the just tortured 
<laughs> horrible feeling the whole way through. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. A little, little, uh, little respite. <laughs> um, man. So what, what sorts of changes are you considering for your author platform going forward? What, what, what do you want to work? What do you think needs the, the most work? What do you, where are you at with okay. that? I need to refine my funnel. And when I say funnel, I mean that anything of mine that you click on, whether it be a Facebook page, whether it be my YouTube channel, whether it be my website, whether it be my Amazon uh, author page, everything should funnel you to, to my newsletter. Hmm. That has to be a hundred percent priority. I need to optimize all those systems to do that. Mm-hmm. I need to be constantly trying to get a piece of my writing into somebody's hands for a newsletter sign up. Cause that kill, th- this kills two birds with one stone. One, I get a potential fan or a reader. Um, and two, I get a free way to communicate somebody that could be a future potential fan or reader. So I'm getting two things every time I get a newsletter sign up. Cause I, every time I get a newsletter sign up, I'm going to give them something to read. Um, and the more things I have written, I'll widen the availability. You know, it won't just be my urban fantasy series. It won't just be my horror short stories. Pretty soon I'll have a military science fiction series up. Um, and then a contemporary sci-fi action story, series of stories up. And you can kind of pick your poison and maybe, but, but everything has to be optimized. It has to be the easiest possible like I have to redesign the website. It's hard to click on the email sign up thing on your phone, so I gotta fix it. Mm-hmm. And there has to be no obstacles between people clicking on things to buy or clicking on things to sign up for the newsletter. That has to be my number one priority. Hmm. The newsletter being front and center is I'm finding more and more to be essential to the whole indie author career. Um, having it accessible from every single point like that is, is definitely a big one. I, for example, I have, you know, I have my website and on my website, you can sign up to my newsletter on the the main page, the first page that comes up, or if you click on the community page, there's a a space in there where you can sign up for the newsletter. Or if you sign up for, or if you click on the newsletter page itself, that it has its own page. So multiple places where you can get it all on one website. There's at least three different places where you can sign up for my newsletter. Um, on top of that, Linktree is a huge thing nowadays. Everybody's using Linktrees, especially in their uh, Instagram accounts, you know, where you can only share one link. You share your one link tree link. And from there you have everything. So yeah. let me, I want to throw up mine on the screen here. I should have been. I've seen yours. It looks great. I don't have that yet. I need it. Yeah, it's, you know, there's a, there's a free version. Um, I, I paid a couple extra bucks to make mine look really nice to make it, you know, um, uh, adhere to my, to my, um, to my branding, but you can make a very decent looking one without paying a dime. Like Linktree is free. Um, I separate them into categories here. So if you want my live stream stuff, you got all the seasons right here accessible right there, as well as the next episode, the podcast, same. 
uh, and at the top, the application form and the newsletter, the, the two big ones, because I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to schedule out my next uh, season of Livestream Sunday. But the newsletter is the biggest thing. And when you go to the website, I mean, the newsletter is right there on, uh, on the first page. I want everybody to see it right away. You know, <clears throat> I would even go one further. I, I made a pop up so that you literally can't get off the screen. You're trapped. Yeah. Unless you go click on something that you can't scroll away from 100% newsletter sign up box, get your free book, sign up to my newsletter is on the very front page, usually over a picture of whichever book just came out. See, we're going to um, kick that into gear very soon. Once I start um, including a free, uh, you know, uh, chapter samples for my newsletter sign up because I'm, I'm getting those edited and ready right now. So that from a certain point onward, any new signups are going to get free chapters to read. Just like you say, give them something to read right off the top. You know what I mean? Yep. And and when that happens, I'm, I'm going to do the, the pop up thing where you can't avoid it. Um, because like like you said, you, I, I'm not using my newsletter to its fullest yet. You know what I mean? Like I send out a newsletter twice a month tops, usually once a month. Um, I'm trying to get better about it. I'm trying to put one out every other week if I can, at, you know, at the least. Uh, I, I want to be in people's inboxes all the time with new stuff for them to read and new stuff for them to get excited about. Yeah, uh, I have. <clears throat> I've got to do the research on it, man. I, I don't feel like I know how best to do email marketing. Mm. So there's a couple books. Uh, one is the Email Ninja book. It's really popular. A lot of indie authors use it. That's where I'm going to start. And I'm just going to make a plan. Um, Again, it has to be sustainable, has to be something that I am not putting myself into a corner and I can't keep up with, but I, I really has to become a focus. So, but talking about funneling things into, uh, now we have to get people to the funnel. Mm -hmm. So the platform can't just be a thing in space. Yeah, it can't just really exist out there. Yeah, you got to bring people to it. it um. And, and I, that takes money and and then an extension of the platform has to be the ad set targeted ad sets to bring the right readers in and that targeting will become probably <laughs> one of my largest uh, focuses of the next year is, is how to find these people and um and if you think of it this way um a great platform is only as good as someone's ability to find it. There could be a million future uh, Ad books by Adrian fans um, out there. They just don't know you exist. And and just putting things up on Instagram or wherever, whatever, um, it still doesn't have a very good chance to find them. It, it needs to be targeted to them. Mm -hmm. And I think that the best place to start for that is Facebook. And the reason, I hate Facebook, the passion. Um, but it's everywhere. But there, I don't know how many billion people on it. So yeah, it touches everybody. Yeah. Using their ads to push um, newsletter signups, and then at some point sales. Once I have enough stuff available for sale, um, being able to push or excuse me, reach out from my platform. Think of it like that. Think of it like once I get them to the funnel. Hopefully the pretty pictures, the book covers, the blurbs, and whatever else I can put up there to try to push them towards books is enough to capture them and get their email address or a sale or both. 
Um, but in order to make some something stick, because not everybody's going to sign up, not everybody's going to buy a book. There needs to be a constant flow of people to the to the funnel, and that's going to take time and, and monetary commitment, and it's going to be a, a process of trial and error. So there has to be a budget for the error rate. In other words, I have to be willing to kind of lose money in the beginning in order to kind of build and develop the self-sustaining uh, system I'm trying to get to. Yeah, that's probably the most like daunting part of this entire process for me is just how much money one is going to have to put into it before you even release your book and start seeing money coming back you know what i mean if you want to have a successful release and you want that money to start coming back to you and you want to at least break even the amount of money you got to put in you know up front now you and i discussed recently that while we would never recommend skipping the 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 professional edit uh the professional edit can take different forms and if you have oh, writers yeah. in your community who are good editors good writers who you trust with your material you know you yourself you, you use bethany vota and and others to to edit your 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 novels um so that you don't need to pay out of pocket a whole bunch of money to some development developmental editor um so there's there's definitely ways to put not only the community that you're you know that, that you're building to use into the publication of your book into the editing of your book into some of the the money saving parts of it um but uh it's it's still kind of daunting how much money you're still gonna have to put into you know whether you're doing cover design stuff or formatting stuff or whatever it is like and then the marketing on top of all that you know with movies whatever the budget is for filming the movie let's say it's a hundred million dollars is a big blockbuster they're putting at least that much into the marketing as well. They're putting another hundred million just into the marketing. They're doubling the budget of each movie that they make <laughs> just to market it. And then then the movie has to at least break even, not only that, but make a profit. Like it's an, it's, it's an incredible like gamble that, that, so, that we do. Um, I feel like we have some advantages over mm -hmm. movies. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's just not quite the millions <laughs> that they have to spend. Um, but but I mean, even if you were going to bootstrap, you you well here. Let's before we get into that marketing, let me address what you talked about editing. So another advantage of the uh, newsletter is to grow your beta reader pool. Mm. So right now, most of my beta readers are authors. I want more just plain readers. So part of focusing on the newsletter and growing the newsletter, also I can advertise for beta reads. I can say, hey, look, the next novel in Millennium Tower series is coming out in March. Who wants to read it two months before publication? Tell me what you think. And then, you know, give people the opportunity to, to come back to me and say, you know, I can't believe that Aiden Lee did this and in, in the toward the end of the book. And I'm like, hmm. Is that consistent? You know, I, yeah. you can why get, isn't it believable? Can, can you know, like, can so, you dig deeper? <laughs> so, yeah. So let's say, let's say I pay for a two thousand or fifteen hundred dollar developmental edit, and a guy recommends that I change uh, the book's uh, central climax, and then I send it out to my beta readers, and they all hate it. I don't get a refund. So by having beta 
readers who are also your readers, um, you can kind of find out better if the structure of the story is hitting right for the people that read it. That developmental editor probably has his own or her own proclivities or ways they like things done. Taste and a lot and, of yeah, them are expectations. And there's certain things about story structure that we can all know. And they're not going to necessarily know it better than me. And maybe they don't care about it as much as I do. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm really trying to sink emotional hooks into the reader during the ordeal in, in the middle build. And it, because I'm trying to have a rebound of emotion as we come into the third act. Hmm. Um, and they try to get me to change it, but they don't see what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Because they haven't focused on the same parts of structure that I have. And I'm not saying that makes me better. I'm just no, saying, it, yeah. If the fate of the book has to be in someone's hands, it should be mine, not a developmental editor. Now, I would never yeah. tell anybody to publish a book without some kind of editing, because there's no way that no. you didn't screw 800 things up. I edit the crap out of my stuff. I'm very careful, and I still, I'm telling you, it's like a thousand edits I get back, and a lot of them are very small things. And, you know, we could have arguments about exactly where commas should go. Sometimes I put a comma there because I, or I don't put a comma there because I want someone to hear it all come out in a rush. Yeah. You don't want that pause. You want it to sound yeah. like, you, yeah, yeah. And I, I use, yeah. No, I'm sorry. just saying you should never put out a book without at least a proofread or a copy edit. Agreed. You shouldn't do it because people are just going to be stumbling over those errors. I tell people all the time, you know, I have this beautiful copy, a hardcover uh, it, it's uh, it's one of the um, like premiere uh, or whatever it's called where the, the front is embossed and it's all shiny. It's Neil Gaiman's American Gods. And oh, yeah. because of the nature of what this book is, they, they go the extra mile with it. The, the pages are very, very thin, almost translucent, like Bible pages, you know, and they've got like that silver kind of touch around the edges. It's a beautiful book. This is not the first time that this book has been printed. This has got to be at least the fifth or sixth time. It's a very old book. It's been through a lot of edits. It's been through a lot of republishing. And I still find typos in this book by one of the greatest authors of, of the modern generation with access to some of the best editors in our generation. I still find typos and mistakes in this book. So... You never skip the edit <laughs> there's always going to be stuff to find there's always you are not a better writer than neil gaiman or whoever it is do do the edit like <laughs> just just do so it. i would also say that the great thing about being an indie author is if people send me tell me hey on page so and so there's an error i can go in and fix that yeah in 10 minutes yeah I and all future printings the, will, will will be yeah. you know corrected yeah yeah. I pull up the book file, make the edit, and reload it up on Amazon, and I can be done in 10 minutes. Yeah, it's one of the things that, that brings me a little bit of, uh, of peace in knowing that your first novel is almost guaranteed to be your worst, because obviously you're going to become better and better as a writer as you go. Mine being the first in a trilogy, I'm like... You know, I'm probably going to go back a little later and, and edit out like some of the what the really rough spots of this first novel and make it a little better and, and re-release it later on because it is always going to be my worst novel. I want to beef it up a little bit later. You know, like you can do that as an indie author if you want to. You, you can. absolutely can. Yeah. Um, um, go ahead. No, I, oh. <laughs> but the second half of that original discussion was, uh, yes. was talking about 
marketing. And um, I just think there's so many opportunities on platforms like Amazon and Facebook to go find where the hardcore fans of your kind of stuff hang out. Your niche fans, yeah. You've got to find out the other stuff they're into. Go look at their groups, at the other books they're reading, and use those books as keywords when you advertise. You know, align your stuff with that pantheon of stuff Mm -hmm. so that the right people come to your book and pick it up. It's not just getting someone to buy the book. It's getting someone that wants to read that kind of book to buy the book. Yeah, the kind of person who will see that book, read the blurb, and go, this is what I've been looking for. I, I want a story like this. Well, yeah. there's there are hardcore readers out there Adrian, that read more than I do. And I'm I'm a voracious reader. I read 60, 70, 80 books a year. Depends on how long the books are, obviously. I just finished a 1,200-page Whopper. I took a little longer than usual. But um, they're out there, and they, they need a new book every three or four days. And if you write the kind of stuff they like, you need to find as many of those people as you can and uh, get them onto the newsletter, get them feeling like part of the community. And the long term is you create, you know, whether it's on whatever social media community building tool you want to use, whether it's Facebook groups or whatever, about the series about or for the author or something where people can talk to each other about this stuff. And you let them kind of start working for you and mm-hmm. pull people into your universe. It's got to reach a kind of critical mass, though. And I think that has to start with the newsletter. Yeah, it does seem like it all starts with the newsletter. Like I said in the live show, just the idea of somebody. It, it, it's very much like the same as somebody inviting you into their home. Somebody is inviting you into their email inbox. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm very, very picky with what I let into my email inbox. You know what I mean? If I sure. sign up for a newsletter, I'm I'm interested. I want that thing to, to show up every month. And, you know, that's something that I've noticed is that, sure, there's, there's always a couple of, like, unsubscribes here and there throughout. But for the most part, anybody who signs up to my newsletter sticks around. And it's, they're interested. They signed up for a reason. You know what I mean? You yep. keep this stuff coming. You keep them engaged. You keep them coming back. That's that's what they want. They want, you know, especially in in this day and age with everybody being so connected on the Internet, everybody wants to be connected to the people that make the things that they like, whether it's musicians and, you know, pop singers or whatever, or actors, or in this case, authors, you know, somebody who creates content that I enjoy to consume. I want to know more about that person. What are they like? You know, what do they like to do every day or whatever it is like for some reason? we we feel attracted to the idea of uh, a human connection with the people who create the art that we enjoy so I, I feel like that's at the core of this whole like building a platform thing you know is the connectivity agree. between the people i 100 percent agree but the Can question is yeah what's the question question <laughs> is how much are you willing to spend to go find these people so yeah. budgeting this becomes really really important it has to be sustainable operation and it has to be continual what do you think man like what's you know because a lot of people nowadays are doing the patreon thing or you know the uh the the kickstarter kind of stuff you know where where people get behind a project that they want to see finished and they they you know pay a monthly subscription or whatever it is um that's certainly one way to do it you know to build up some money on on the on the side for your pro for your project um not you know not everybody 
is is successful with that kind of thing i've had a patreon pretty much since the beginning of this platform and it hasn't gone anywhere as far as i'm concerned um i'm doing a whole like revamp of it this month uh because i'm just uh, i feel like it's not going anywhere i'm not getting new sub subscribers on there i'm not getting new patrons so it's not uh uh a blanket uh answer for everybody w what do you what do you think man what's how are you going about saving up money for for all of these uh publication expenses and whatnot and, and marketing and all that well <laughs> essentially what i'm doing is just not spending as much money that's just all there is to it just saving you up know, your actual hard-earned dollars yeah yeah i do stuff for the kids you know and, and the wife and I, I don't do much extra stuff for myself is the honest truth um i i just i just kind of have decided I'm going to do this. So, you know, I'm, I will have probably spent around $8,000 by the time the whole Millennium Tower series. In other words, done. this this is what you're investing in all around right now. Like, as far as, you know, you have your family, you have your kids, but as far as you, it's all about your your author career. Yep. Um, I did get, I have already made some of my production money back. Uh, not a lot. Because um, I'm selling books at a really low price right now and i'll continue to do that for the next few years um but corner the market and then raise the price simple economics <laughs> i am going to start advertising next year but production still has to be number one mm. so instead of advertising for sales i'm going to be advertising for newsletter signups in the hopes that they get in on the first two books and then they'll buy book three four and five and the prequel beautiful and then I will have turned the advertising dollar for the one person into two, three, four sales. Once that reaches critical mass, it, it should start to pay me back. But I'm going to expect to operate um, at a loss at least for another 12 to 18 months um, before I start breaking even or a little better than breaking. But I have to keep producing because if the if the backlist doesn't grow, there's no way for it to reach critical mass. So. Now, this is what I think right now. I may change my mind about this because I'll have to adjust as things change um, in the coming year. And and I'm going to do, I'm going to, I plan to be super transparent about like what's working and what isn't. And to, to make that be the bulk of my YouTube content, because one of the things I like doing on AuthorTube is, is to help other people kind of skip to the head of the line, whether it's on understanding story structure or how to finish your projects or anything that I've got any experience with, I always like to bring everybody with you. You know, you never pull up the ladder behind you and you figure something out. You go help people. And I spend a lot of time doing that. And, and I'm gonna continue to do that because it really, first of all, it makes me feel good. <laughs> and second of all, you develop, you know, a really tight circle of, of people that are kind of help each other out. And uh, I really enjoyed helping Bethany Botog grow her community on Discord and, uh, and just to be a part of that i'm not i'm definitely not like the leader of the gang in any form or fashion but i just like to be around to help people yeah. and um i've yeah. got a bunch of kind of beginner authors that i coach like that but i always have known that i'm gonna have to reach outside of all this stuff to find an audience i have to go get them so it's gonna come down to tightening the belt and and paying for some advertising man because yeah i have to get there needs to be a lot of people now the other side to paying for your advertisement 
and choosing the right places to advertise. The other side of that is making your advertisements attractive and appealing to audiences as well. Um, there's also going to be a little money spent there, I think, in, in just making it look good, making it, again, not, not just attractive, but there's a science to marketing. There's a way to draw people's eye. One of the things that I learned from, uh, from comic books was how to sort of lead your reader's eye. You know, when you open up a comic book to any page, you're always starting at the top left, but then the way that the panels are spaced, the way that they're shaped, the way that the word balloons are arranged on the page lead your eye down the page all the way to the end and then back up. Like, it makes you do that. And it's sure. a whole part of the artist's um, uh, part of it that, that you know, most people don't think about. Like, yeah, they're not just telling you the story. They're guiding your, your eye through it and making you turn the page. So... There's a whole science behind that, you know what I mean? There's there's a whole side of marketing that, honestly, like I I feel like we can't do it alone. Like I, I'm gonna always want some sort of marketing person to weigh in and to to help guide me uh, through that. What um, what if anything are are you doing on that side of things uh, or, or thinking about doing for your future marketing? So what I have done is look at what a lot of other. Um, kind of independent authors, mainly on the Amazon platform, what they're doing and looked at their ads. Um, and these people are selling books. So it's working. Yeah. And, and most of them, right? to be honest with you, aren't some like giant artistic thing. It's like a book and a blurb. It's the cover and a book. Like you already are paying for the biggest advertisement that you could ever have for a book. It's called the cover mm -hmm. and uh, independent covers are different than regular bookstore covers. Um, so like when I worked with Ryan Schwartz, my cover designer for the Millennium Tower series, I told him I wanted something that I wanted people to understand that it was urban, that it was in a city. I wanted it to, ha to suggest the occult. That's where the wings and the occult circle. Yeah. And then a, a broody, figure who's having a bad day as the centerpiece for each cover why because i looked at the covers of a whole bunch of urban fantasy series i looked at the stuff the ones that were that you know had good rankings and i'd have to sit next to so that's that's how i did that research so really the first thing you got to get is the right cover um and i don't know if i did get the right covers we'll, we'll see thank like your covers I like your covers. Thanks. They 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 evoke what's in the pages. You know, like the way that you laid it out so specifically. I needed to tell people this, this, and this because these are the three things that make my story what it is. So have those three things featured on the cover, and I immediately start thinking about the book covers in the genres that I write and what they look like and like what are they telling me? They're telling me that it takes place on a spaceship. Or they're telling me that it takes place on a planet or telling me that it takes place in a cave or whatever it is it tells you the setting it tells you the kind of person that you're following and the extra something in your case the occult you know the extra something that that stands out you know that makes it pop there's always that sort of like third layer so yeah like that sounds about right man like find what it is that you want to convey about your book in that cover because people judge the book by its cover as they should you know what i mean do. like <laughs> of course they do and of course they should you know i, so, I always feel like if you don't put the kind of work into the the cover then 
you know you didn't care about your story ultimately like <laughs> well first of all you need to work with a cover designer that understands positioning a book um it, i i'm gonna pay for that <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna pay top dollar for the covers you gotta pay um, people and to that's do what they do best yeah that's where most of probably i think it's actually about even between editing and covers by the end of it and i'm getting discounts because i've i'm scheduling three and four books at a time and three and four covers at a time and you know once you've got a series palette you, you, you just make little similar. tweaks yeah so i'm cha i'm changing color and the main figure but it's going to be over the city with the wings and the the the, the millennium tower going up the center of the thing so it gives you it's got the series iconography it's got the tower in the center got the wings tells you angels demons cult circle tells you there's there's actually something called the language of the miradan in it which is a, a big plot point through through line of the of the book um and it looks a lot like that circle i actually added that after seeing the cover and it became a plot point because i wanted to get that kind of weird glyph looking writing into it um, so, so the the cover ultimately uh, inspired a little of the changes in the story yep. as well. Like it actually affected the story. Nice. Well, remember, I wasn't planning on doing a series when I was producing the book. It was just going to be a book. And then, as I realized it had to be a series, first of all, a series needs a name. So I started making rules for myself. I'm like, okay, everything has to touch the Millennium Tower. In book one. We start out with our hero in the in the parking garage below it shot doesn't know how he got there and everybody thinks he's his worst enemy so and then in the next book the forbidden one you're reading right now the climax is going to be in the tower and the same in the third book so the tower becomes part of the series nice so i named it millennium tower series and then in that way i'm like okay what did people like about the first book beta comments and this is marketing too. So they love that it was quick. It happened in one night. And uh, they liked that it had multiple points of view, but like you could see what was happening to each POV group. Like they were progressing through the story. They liked that. So mm -hmm. I'm going to do that every time. It's going to take place in one day. And you're going to follow just a couple sets of POV characters. And they're all going to come together and crash. And, uh, I love that idea that they all take place in one day, you know, like this just one bad day, you know, where this all that makes down. it really hard. I'll, the prequel, sure I didn't do that. The prequel, I wanted to tell a specific sequence of events that kind of started the my the first book's main bad guy and the first book's main protagonist kind of caused them to become these two titans at war in Los Angeles. That's why I named the book Collision because they. That's where they face off for the yeah. for the first time, and um, they become they become legends that the other characters kind of live in a city full of ghosts from their original war, not literal ghosts, but like the the ruins of the clash between you know this ult the ultimate FBI agent, the super cop, and they called him the devil of Los Angeles, Damian Rehnquist, who's probably one of the more interesting bad guys I've ever written. And I can't tell you why, because <laughs> you yeah. haven't read Blind Spot yet. But if you do get around to reading Blind Spot, I'd love to have a conversation 
uh, with you about that. I can't but, wait, um, man. As soon as I'm done with Forbidden, I have to read uh, Bethany's Tracker. And uh, you're going to love think, that. And then I think I'm going to circle back around and, and read Blindspot and get a better idea of what's going on in all this. <laughs> you can, you'll read Tracker in like two days. It's can riveting. It it's short. It's punchy. Oh, it's great. It's fun. Sounds like, sounds like Bethany Voltar writing. Yeah. Sounds about right. <laughs> and it's not very long. She, she writes pretty lean uh, scenes and chapters. So it's, it's a fast read. I was, uh, I was going to say the same about you, man. Your chapters are very, very short, uh, but in a good That's way. They're, 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 they, yeah, they just keep you moving. It, it feels like some of the best thrillers where like, you just keep turning that page, keep turning that page, you know? So that's very much by design. Before I start any draft, I decide how long the scenes are going to be. And then I try to stay close to them. Now there's always going to be times when I have to go further in a scene, especially when there's world building stuff. So each of the Millennium Tower stories, you get steeped more in the worlds of the angels and the demons. So like in, the, in Blind Spot, you just discover that they're there, that they're or people, angels and demons are the people wandering around doing this stuff. You don't know much about them, much about their history. And each book you learn a little more. And now that I'm in the third book that I just finished writing, I have to do a lot of world building. So I set my scene length. Usually I try to do between 1500 to 2000. I put it to, to about 2200 to 2600. Whenever I can get it below that, I do. Occasionally I got to write a 3000 word scene because if I don't explain this stuff to you enough, now I'll try to get it way down in editing. But there's some things that you can't. Yeah, you, you can't just flesh it out. You got to give it time. Yeah, you yeah. got Sometimes you have to sort of sit in a scene and let it sort of like fold slowly and build and build. And you know, sometimes it feels like a like stretching a rubber band out. You know what I mean? And, and you want to stretch it out to the absolute limit before the climax, before it breaks. But like sometimes you realize, oh, there's a little more. Oh, wait, there's a little more. I can go a little further. And you just keep stretching it. And, and you know, it, to use a, a, a film uh, maker analogy, it's very Quentin Tarantino where he'll let you sit in a, in a scene and just build that tension and build that tension until it just can't anymore and it snaps. Um, that's sort of like where where I come from when I'm writing it is is sort of trying to build that tension until okay it's time you know yep and every every conversation's an argument because if it's not it's boring yeah so <laughs> that's so true that, yeah <laughs> it is boring every if if all of the people in your scene want the same thing you don't have yeah. to yeah if they're all getting along so, and just like chit-chatting about stuff yeah that's a boring scene somebody has to gum up the works sometimes it's kind of heartbreaking because you know like i'll bring two characters together romantically and i know it's never gonna last because that would be boring and uh <laughs> especially not peripheral characters could stay together that would be okay we can like them as a couple from a distance, but with my main characters, yeah. their whole lives have to be in terminal. There's no yeah. way they're in some kind of like That's mutually supporting <laughs> yeah. relationship. It's never going to last. Whatever yeah. happens and you're like happy for them. Yeah. Don't hold your breath. Yeah. Either somebody's going to die or they're going to have to like separate and you know, like something was going to happen. Like, yeah. One of the things that, that, you know, when I got towards the, uh, towards the end of my first draft and, uh, and I had a, a, more than one, at least 
was kind of coming together towards the end of my story. As soon as I saw those scenes like wrapping up, I was like, I'm gonna have to kill some of these people. <laughs> like, you know, like hmm, somebody's dying in, in the sequel. I wasn't always planning for this, but now that this is happening, somebody's got to die. <laughs> yeah. Th things only That's an author can say and not get arrested for, right? <laughs> you got to be careful. Like, you don't just try to kill characters oh, to no. shock people. But sometimes. It, it, it has for this. Point. It's just a, a talk we can revisit once you've read Blind Spot because I kill someone in there <laughs> where everybody's just like, wait, what? And I'm like, I had to, and I can explain why. Um, and everybody thought um, that was reading Forbidden that I was going to do the same thing and kill off all the main people, and you'll have to see if I did or not. Yeah. Um, but the, the, again, if I'm going to write a series, there should be more than one character that can hold the audience's attention and you should always be developing other characters who could step into center stage yes and as i went back and wrote the prequel i decided to to build another character into that world his name is alex wells and uh because i thought maybe in some time in the future if i kill harriet off alex will keep carrying the story um and then i'm like well who else what other heroes can I build from bit parts? You know, what scars can they gain along the way? Like we talked about it on your live stream. We're building legends. Mm. Um, and, and I'm like, I want to have this legendary group of heroes that, that went through this tough time in Los Angeles, a series of the worst nights of anybody's life. And, uh, and I, I think I've accomplished that. And then Forsaken, new characters step up to the plate and old favorites are still there. It, it gets harder because now I've got to pay more attention to different people. It, it takes more words and it takes more planning. Yeah, you got to make pages. sure everybody gets their, keeps growing. their moment. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you don't want it to grow so big that we don't stay with the through line, the main character. And that was something I struggled with a little bit in the outlining. But it, this is all marketing too. Mm -hmm. I can't give them blind spot, about 50K words. And then write another 50k with only three main characters. I can't do that again. I gotta. It needs to get bigger. Gotta turn it up a notch. So yeah, that's when I brought in those new characters, and I had to kind of deliberately find new people for the audience to be interested in. And then Forsaken, it takes another step. And then the last book of the series will be Armageddon, and um, I still have to introduce new characters, mm -hmm. and they have to matter. Mm -hmm. um and others will die and see what happens and then it's got to close the series out in a way that is satisfying it feels like you've come full circle but also leaves the potential to write other books if people want yeah yeah and it's a it's a delicate dance you know um I, i'm going through the same thing i had three main characters in my first uh in my first novel my uh second is gonna have five and I don't know how many are ultimately going to be in my third yet, but I have a feeling it's probably going to be about six or seven. Um, I am also killing off some characters in the second book because it is the second book and the worst stuff is going to happen in that one. A lot of people are going to probably end up getting chopped up in that one. But um, but like you say, even going into a third book, you got to bring in some new characters, some fresh faces. They have to matter. You have to care about them, all that stuff. They have to have their arc. Um, one of the, the beauties of 
of doing uh, prologues and epilogues in, in my books is, is tying in the previous book with the next one and so on and leaving room open. Even in my third and final book in the series, it'll have a, an epilogue that will hopefully leave things open in case I want to come back and tell more stories in this world, you know? You got to always well, let's, leave that open, right? I, I did a prologue for each of these books and um, I decided when, when I wrote Blind Spot, the supernatural stuff came as I was writing. I decided to put it in there. I didn't plan that book. I just, I winged it. Yeah. And uh, when I went back, I added a prologue uh, and decided that every book would have a prologue with two of the supernatural creatures. And then we'd cut to see what the humans are doing. The prologue um, in Forbidden was awesome, man. Like for, from, from the, as soon as I opened it up and I started reading the prologue, I was like, oh, this is what I'm reading. All right, I'm in, man, this is dope. So that's what? It, that's that's really interesting to me because everybody has liked the prologues mm. um, to all the books, and it was really interesting to. Well, I'm I'm also tackling the big stuff. I had the Archangel Michael talking to Lucifer, and uh, some of my favorite lines I've ever written were in some major prologue. characters there. Yeah, <laughs> some major characters for sure. And then I put it in a really mundane place, like uh, it was. It's in a convenience store. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I have a little running joke, which is in all the books that the, the bell at Lou's everything shop, which is where Lucifer hangs out because it's the purpose place for sin. You can eat junk food and get fat, buy lottery tickets, waste your rent money. You can get drunk and go home and beat your wife. So like it's his, his little palace of sin and it, it looks all it bright and cheerful. <laughs> so whenever you, whenever you walk in the door, there's a musical door chime that plays uh, sympathy for the devil by the rolling stones and i, I think in when the next book forsaken harriet starts realizing as she walks in the door um that it's picking up where it left off last whenever she heard it so i've had that running joke in there all the way through the series and little things like that are fun for me i don't That's know if anybody else notices but um all those prologues, the first prologue is between, uh, in, in Blind Spot, is between a demon and an angel making a deal. Hmm. And uh, that was the last thing I wrote in the Blind Spot uh, novel. And I, I almost cut it because I, like it's too confusing. I can't tell people too much. You know, this conversation has to be interesting and they're making innuendo at each other, but I don't tell you they're an angel or a demon. I just let them talk about things. Shifty, my demon, also known as Shivayanthal, um, he says he doesn't like people to use his angel name. He calls it his slave name. Um, mm. And he uh, he calls the other guy Choir Boy because um, he's still an angel from heaven. Yeah. And I just put little things like that in there and i was like i don't know if this is too vague no that's and good because then they'll come back later. yeah they'll come back later and be like oh that's what this was right on man that's dope see with me with my prologue i i i go back well <clears throat> when i write i have everything outlined but i i do a little pantsing when i'm actually writing my chapters i allow a little wiggle room for fresh ideas and things like that if it's something that's going to stick though I go back to my my either my outline and, and adjust it or i go back to my prologue 
and I'll add a little something that foreshadows it. If it's like a big moment in the in the book that I hadn't planned for before, I go back and I and I try to make it fit somewhere in the prologue, even if it's a little oh, absolutely. subtle thing somewhere, because anything that I can foreshadow later on in that prologue, like that's just gonna be Chef Kiss stuff later so, on. So that's definitely the last thing I, every time I read back through a draft, I'm making a list of to-dos or asking mm. myself a bunch of questions. So I've basically, by the time I'm done, I've gone through five to-do lists because I generally do five drafts. Um, and each time it tightens up and I catch new things, you have to reread your book a bunch of times. Yeah. So like in this next three, three weeks, I will read Forsaken probably five times. Um, uh, and it's tough. Yeah. It's a lot of work. I'll probably be putting between three and five hours a day on it. By the time um, you're done with it, you're probably it. sick of it. <laughs> I never feel like that. I no. am excited to do the next thing because by then all the, the percolating for the outline of the next book is like going, oh, oh yeah, maybe. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I'm super excited to rewrite my military science fiction book, which is really unusual. It's, it's about a military school in space training program. And it's layered over a father and son dynamic, a, a basically ranger school in space. And I'm super excited to rewrite that because that was the second full-length novel. I guess third because I wrote Blind Spot, but I didn't know Blind Spot was a book. That was just an accident. It became a, a short story, became a book. But um, so I wrote the school uh, almost eight years ago. Gosh, it might be. I'm nine. looking forward to read that one because that one sounds right up my alley, man. Ranger school in space. That sounds so cool. I can't wait. It, it's and then a I'm, whole father son like plot over it. Like I'm in, man. I'm in. I wanted a different protagonist. So originally, when I first started doing planning the book, I was going to have us follow a young guy uh, through this uh, horrible experience of Ranger School, where 50 percent of people that show up die. Um, and then I'm like, this is boring. This is like the same young tough guy and you know instead i had the son go to the school and I, i've created a situation where the school is the only way to reach it is in this one kind of ship and there's no way to come back because hmm. you basically go through a wormhole light years and light years away there's no way to return it would take hundreds of years so once you go and you go to the colonies yeah, to become a, a ranger you're there yeah. well this this guy's son leaves and goes and then his the, the book starts his commander pulls him in the end of the office they're they're on a solar cruise they're in the solar system and he says hey i hate to tell you but your son david uh died he died in mountain phase of ranger school and he goes I just wanted to let you know we just got the the communication that happened and the father says i volunteer for training oh. and he's Banner says, what? You're 50 years old. You're not a commando. What are you doing? He goes, I'm going and you can't turn me down because no volunteers can be turned down. I waive all my rights for leave. I'm leaving right now. And the commander's like, what am I going to tell your wife? Your son is dead. And now your husband went off to die. And the, the guy says, um, my son's not dead. And he believes it 100%. So he's going to go he find does him. not believe his son's dead and he's going to go find his son. So he takes off, blasts himself across the galaxy, not even saying goodbye to his wife to find his son in these distant colonies. And he goes through the school and it's about him unraveling 
what happened to his son. So it's a mystery as well. Holy Meanwhile, shit, we're going. That sounds awesome. <laughs> well, thanks. This really um, sounds good. So, so this 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 book, I torture the characters in a way I've never done before. Although, you know what? I have a task ahead of me. I have to go. I need to go gender swap some people because at the time when I wrote it, uh, U.S. Army Ranger School was meant. <laughs> well, yeah, it was. It used to be men only, and we've since integrated Ranger School, which is a good thing because we want our females to be trained that way too. Of course. And um, they did it without lowering the standards, which is really admirable. And uh, so, I feel like that far in the future, it's kind of silly not to have females. Yeah. So I'm gonna go gender swap a few characters. It would still be rare because the physical rigors are ridiculous. Um, I know some of the females in, in real army that have made it through, and they are exceptional athletes. Um, it's it's very difficult. Um, but anyway, I, can, I need to go do that. I'm gonna have fun doing that. I've done that before in books. Usually, gender swapping brings out awesome things that I never thought of before. So I'm actually really looking forward to that. Yeah, um, I, I, keep, pick, I keep looking at my characters. cast. I keep looking at my cast and, and finding the opposite problem, where I have a lot of female characters. For some reason, I I, I just have a lot of them, it, it, relatively speaking to the males. And I'm like, I'm gonna have to actually add some more dudes in here because, like, I have the very I, rare problem that I have way too many girls. <laughs> I feel like I'm damned whatever I do because I'm a white Some, dude. So. Someone's always going to have an opinion about what you do because you're a white dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, See, I'm, I'm a Hispanic dude. So, like, one of my characters is very Latino. One of my characters is very, very pale white. And one of my characters is a black girl. And I'm like, I think I've covered all my bases. I'm good. <laughs> like, I've got all three of them covered. So, right I, never, I never stack races i never do that mm. it feels really disingenuous i try to imagine the scenario and like what city it's in so i know you know who's migrating you know, there who's living there who was yeah, born there so, like what kind of people are melting together here but then if a, if a character walks on stage and i see them you know what i mean when i'm outlining i, I audition characters i say that all the time i'm like okay who's gonna be the the person that's always bugging the boss who's going to be the irritating one who would it be the funniest for that to be should it be the big dumpy dude or should it be some little rail th thin woman who's the click clack of her heels or like you know a typewriter keys or something like who's going to do it i audition some people when i'm outlining and i'm brainstorming and if the right person walks on i don't second guess their you know ethnic group or anything like that i just try to hear them and see them and, and yeah. do it that way see, see and um, hear the character for what it is and take it that way i i think that's it's better than to you could fall into the disney trap of you know we need one of each like and <laughs> yeah it's like not some from column a some from column b it's not a <laughs> bad thing to be inclusive that's not what i'm saying i'm just saying you have to be careful or people can like notice you're doing it they'll, they'll smell it yeah they'll smell it when it's disingenuous yeah when when it's not a see it still has to be a full-fledged character that that walks and talks and breathes and that the reader believes if the reader doesn't believe your character then it doesn't matter how much inclusion you put in there it didn't the character didn't fly you know character has to resonate. well and a character didn't resonate in blind spot it was he was boring and I didn't like him. His name was Harry Hardy and he was an LA police officer and about to retire and he's fat and it was such a cliche character. So I flipped it and made it a young FBI agent named her Harriet Hardy. 
and she, she was like, you know, being mentored by the, the super cop guy. And then all of a sudden she was one of the more interesting parts of the book instead of being yeah. that boring ass, I'm too old for this shit. Fat guy cliche that I somehow had allowed myself to put in there. Forbidden wouldn't have been what it was if, if you had stuck to the original guns. There would have been no Millennium Tower series without Harry and Hardy. That's awesome. Ken Sean, thank you so much for being with me today, man. Unfortunately, that's that's it for today, man. We're we're gonna wrap it up. Uh, tell the people at home where they can find you. Obviously, your links are down below. If you have anything coming up, uh, let the people at home know. Parting words. Okay, KentShawn.com. Please come sign up for my newsletter. You're gonna get the prequel to the Millennium Tower series, Collision, for free, 100%. And Forbidden Book Two in the Millennium Tower series comes out in one week, December 15th, available on ebook. And within another week, it'll be available on paperback. I yeah. will have another book out probably by February or March, and that will be Forsaken, which I just finished writing. And hopefully by May, we'll wrap up this entire series and it's on to bigger and better things. Also be looking out for this. I do not have a release date yet for the school, but it's going to happen fast. Um, I'm doing that rewrite in January and uh, I can't wait to see uh, what people think of something that's way different than the Millennium Tower series. That's what I got. I'm looking forward to it, man. I can't wait to read both the school and the rest of the Millennium Tower series. I wish that it wasn't so hard for me to say Millennium, because every time I try to say it, I screw it up. <laughs> All right, everybody at home, like, comment, subscribe. Thank you for coming. Uh, if you're checking this out on the audio-only versions, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. That's how you can best help us. Uh, come back on Sunday. We're going to do an episode of Chronicles, and the uh, Kent Sean train is going to keep rolling with an ARC review of Forbidden on that episode. So come back for that on Sunday at 4 p.m. One last time, thank you very much, Ken Sean. Thank you, everybody at home. And uh, until next time, right on, writers. We out. <laughs>